a number of scriptures I would like to read, please. First of all, in the book of Exodus and in chapter 16. Exodus chapter 16, we'll commence our reading at verse number 1. And they took their journey from Elam, and all the congregation of the children of Israel came unto the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month after the departing out of the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said unto them, Would to God we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the flesh pots, when we did eat bread to the full. For ye have brought us forth into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then said the Lord unto Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a certain rate every day, that I may prove them whether they will walk in my law or no. Verse number 11. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, I have heard the murmurings of the children of Israel. Speak unto them, saying, At even ye shall eat flesh, and in the morning ye shall be filled with bread. And ye shall know that I am the Lord your God. And it came to pass that at even the quails came up and covered the camp. And in the morning the dew lay round about the host. And when the dew that lay was gone up, behold, upon the face of the wilderness there lay a small round uh, thing, as small as the hoar frost on the ground. And when the children of Israel saw it, they said one to another, It is manna, for they wist not what it was. And Moses said unto them, This is the bread which the Lord hath given you to eat. This is the thing which the Lord hath commanded. Gather of it every man according to his eating, a number for every man according to the number of your persons. Take ye every man for them which are in his tents. And the children of Israel did so and gathered, some more, some less. And when they did meet it with a number, he that had gathered much had nothing over, and he that gathered little had no lack. They gathered every man according to his eating. And Moses said, Let no man leave of it until the morning. Notwithstanding, they hearkened not unto Moses, but some of them left of it until the morning, and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was wroth with them. And they gathered it every morning, every man according to his eating. And when the sun waxed hot, it melted. Verse number 31. And the house of Israel called the name thereof manna, and it was like coriander seed, white, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. The book of Numbers, please, in chapter 11. Numbers chapter 11 is verse 4. Numbers 11, verse 4. And the mixed multitude that was among them fell a lusting. And the children of Israel also wept again and said, Who shall give us flesh to eat? We remember the fish which we did eat in Egypt freely the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. But now our soul is dried away, and our soul loatheth. Sorry, but now our soul is, is dried away, but there's nothing at all beside this manna before our eyes. Chapter 21. Chapter 21, again at verse 5. <clears throat> verse 5. And the people spake against God and against Moses, where hath he brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no bread, neither is there any water, and our soul loatheth this light bread. The Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and much people of Israel died. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned. 
for we have spoken against the Lord and against thee. Pray unto the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent, and set it upon a pole. And it shall come to pass that every one that is bitten, when he looketh upon it, shall live. And Moses made a serpent of brass, and put it upon a pole. And it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man, when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. Now the New Testament, please, first of all, in Luke's Gospel in chapter 3. <clears throat> the Gospel by Luke, chapter 3 at verse 1. Verse 1, Now in the fifteenth year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip tetrarch of Eturia, and of the region of Trachonitis, and Lysianus the tetrarch of Abilene, <coughs> Annas and Caiaphas being the high priests, the word of God came unto John, the son of Zacharias in the wilderness. And he came into all the country about Jordan, preaching the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. And as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make us pass straight. Every valley shall be filled. And every mountain and hill shall be made straight. Every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight. And the rough ways shall be made smooth, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Then said he, then said, said he to the multitude that came forth to be baptized of him, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth therefore fruits worthy of repentance. And begin not to say within yourselves, We have Moses to our father. For I say unto you that John is e that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. And now also the axe is led unto the root of the trees. Every tree therefore which bringeth not forth good, fr good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. And the final reading in John's Gospel, please. And in chapter 3. John chapter 3, verse 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And the Lord, we trust, will bless this rather lengthy reading from his own precious and holy word. All of the scriptures that we've read together this evening are all taking our thoughts to the wilderness, the wilderness. We've read in the Gospel by, by Luke and in chapter number 3, we've read about a man in the wilderness, John the Baptist. We've read in Exodus chapter 16 of manna in the wilderness. Then we've read in Numbers chapter 11, murmuring in the wilderness. And then in Numbers chapter 21, and backed up with John chapter 3, we've read of a miracle in the wilderness. A man in the wilderness, first of all. The preacher, the man, is John the Baptist. And it is a very interesting thing. We've read of a number of people, the high-class kind of people, high society, rulers, those who were governors, We've read about all those kind of people. And it lists them all out. And there are seven of them. And we come to the eighth. 
And those who read their Bible will know that the number eight springing is the new beginning, a new start. And all of these seven, with all of their accolades granted to them and all of their awards and all that they've got, they seem just to fade into insignificance. And then it speaks about John. John. John the Baptist. The man who was strangely attired. The man who had a strange diet. But the man who was a very, very forceful and powerful preacher of the gospel of the kingdom. And here we learn the first thing that we note is that he's to preach, says verse 3, about the remission of sins. You may think, well, those other men, they weren't preaching, they weren't talking like that. No, they were probably more interested in setting up and establishing places where they can abound in their sin. But John begins to talk about sin. And that's where we all begin when we're preaching the gospel. We've got to tell the people about the difficulty they have. We've got to tell the people about the disease they have. We've got to talk about sin. For after all, my friend, if you don't realize you're a sinner and the consequences of that sin, you're never, ever, ever going to seek for God's salvation. You would never think of going to the doctor if you weren't, if you weren't sick. You only go to the doctor if you've understood of a problem and the doctor can fix me. And here's John the Baptist. And the first thing he's talking about is sin. Why is sin such a difficulty? When did sin come in? After all, if we go to the Friday chapter of Genesis and we begin to read there about the creation and that, there's no mention of sin. But then we come over a little bit and we begin to understand the commencement of sin. As we see Adam disobeying the command of God. And this is what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 5. Wherefore as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin so death is passed upon all men for the all of sin. The awfulness of sin is seen in this consequence that it brings forth death. My friend I'm sure I've raised a question on previous occasions to be standing on this platform to be able to ask you the same question over again. Why is it that people die? Why is it that people die? You say, well, that's easy. People die because they get old. And, and then you remember that it's just not old people die. Little children die. You say, well, it's because of disease. A disease takes hold of a person and, and they die. And then you remember again that there are people and they're perfectly healthy and they're in a road accident or something else and they die. It's nothing to do with age. It's nothing to do with disease. It's nothing to do with these matters. So why is it that people die? And whatever answer you give, you've got to ensure that you're embracing everybody regardless of their nationality. Regardless of their beliefs or disbeliefs, regardless of anything about them, their society, some people tell us that if they have some particular diet, they live longer, but eventually they're going to die. My dear friend, there's only one reason, and it tells us of the comprehensiveness of sin, for the reason why people die is sin. Wherefore, as by one man, sin entered into the world, and death by sin so death has passed upon all men. 
for the role of sin. And you sit in this meeting. You could be the best neighbor that a person would wish to have. I trust you are a good neighbor. It may be that you're upright and you're righteous in all of your dealings. Well, that's the least you should be. But my dear friend, you're going to die because of your sin. And that's what John Baptist is talking about. He's talking about sins. He talks about the sentence on sin. Verse number seven, he talks about the wrath to come. Verse number nine, he talks about the axe laid to the root of the tree. And then he talks about the tree being cast into the fire. Wrath to come. It's not a very pleasant prospect, is it? But dear soul, if you're not saved, all you have to look forward to is wrath to come. You leave this world unsaved. A thousand years from now, under the judgment of God, you'll still have wrath to come. And so it will go on, wrath to come. Wrath to come. As you move into eternity, wrath to come. And John Baptist, who's preaching about sin, is preaching about this severe, should we say, most solemn situation where it's just going to go on and on and on and on. Wrath to come, wrath to come, it'll never end. He says the axe, they'll cut down the tree, they'll cast it into the fire. And it's just a picture of what's going to happen to you if you're not saved. What a dreadful, dreadful prospect that I'm heading for eternal fire, that I'm heading for the judgment of God. That's because of the awfulness of sin. Some people say, that's really not fair, you know. You're telling me that I'm going to be in hell and the lake of fire because of sin. And I was born a sinner. I never asked to be a sinner, never asked to be born. It's not fair. No, it's not. But let me tell you this. My dear soul, you're not going to be judged for the way you come into this world. You're going to be judged for the way you leave this world. And we've been talking to you about sin and its consequences. And the fact that you were born in sin and shaped in iniquity, and you come into this world a sinner, God is not going to condemn you for that, for the way you come into this world. But God has made every provision that you should not leave this world the way you entered it. And that your sins can all be forgiven. And you can know the blessedness of heaven for all eternity. God has worked like this. And how are you going to come into the good of this? Well, not only is John Baptist talking about sin and its sentence, he's talking about the sorrow of things. He says that bring forth therefore fruits worthy of repentance. Repentance is an essential part of of all real scriptural gospel preaching. The Lord Jesus preached repentance. Here John Baptist preaches repentance. The Apostle Paul will tell us in the book of the Acts about repentance. God now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. What is repentance? 
I suppose in our Bible, the classic example of repentance is seen in Luke 15, the story of the prodigal son. The prodigal son, you remember, he came to his father one day. He was a very callous young man. He says to his father, I want my inheritance. Now, he wasn't even willing to wait until his father had died. He says, I want my inheritance now. Father gave it to him. And off he went to the far country. And I watch him leaving his father's house. And there are two different kinds of hearts. There's the, the boy's heart. And the boy's heart is very happy. And he's just leaping for joy. He's away to the far country. And his father's watching him with a heavy heart. I can see the father. I can put myself in the place of the father. I can see the father with head bowed and likely tearful eyes. His boy away. And maybe saying to himself, that's the end of him. He'll never be saved now. He's away into the world. So you watch him as he arrives in the far country. He's plenty of friends. You're always in the world of friends if you have plenty of money. But mind you, it's a different story when you can't buy your next round. And friends just kind of melt away from you then. Anyway, you just watch him. The Bible says that he wasted his substance on riotous living. That word waste, <coughs> it means a scattered exceed. And he scattered money about him. And soon it was all gone. My granny used to tell us, just when we were little children, my granny used to say to us that a fool and their money are easily parted. Well, so it was with this, body, this prodigal son. He soon had nothing. He was so hungry, he got a job looking after pigs. And he was so hungry, he was actually going to eat the pig's well. I would judge that the story is a story of a Jewish family. And for a Jew to be among pigs, and going to eat the pig's food, I doubt if he would ever get any lower than this, a Jew with pigs. He began to think about things. He says, you know, in my father's house, they've got the servants have got bread enough and to spare. And I perish with hunger. He says, I, I, what I'll do is, I will arise and go to my father. I will say unto my father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. Here he is. He's a different boy now than the one who left home to go to the far country. If you had asked him when he was going to the far country, what's a far country like? He says it's brilliant. I've heard so many stories and there are so many pleasures and so many things to get involved in and, and all of those things are going to satisfy me and I, I'm going to try them. <clears throat> and you ask him, as he's sitting beside the swine trucks, what do you think of the far country? would say to you, I was a right fool ever leaving it. I never should have left my father's house. He says, I'm going to go back. And it's just at this point where you learn what repentance means. For repentance means you do an about turn, 180 degrees. Repentance means 
It's a change of attitude that leads to a change of action. It's not just attitude. It's not just me saying something. It's me saying something and me doing something. And I turn my back on the world. And I give the world a permanent wave. This boy does that. And he returns. John Baptist says, Bring forth fruits worthy of repentance. My dear friend, if you ever want to be saved, you repent. You cannot get salvation and hold salvation on one hand and have the world on the other hand. It's not a foot in each camp. You can't have Christ, whom the world crucified, and have the world alongside it. It can't be done. These are diametrically opposed. It's just not going to happen. If you want salvation, salvation, I suppose people think, that's maybe an Irish thing. But salvation, salvation is telling you that you've got to give up the world. You've got to let that go. And only then are you going to get the salvation of God. You can't have them both. Then he talks about the remission of sins, the salvation. And the salvation comes after the repentance. I repent. I seek the face of God. I ask God to forgive me on the basis of the work of the Lord Jesus. And in that moment I'm saved. And so it says here, tells us the scope of this. As people say sometimes, well, how do I know it takes me in? <coughs> My dear friend, it takes you in because our Bible says, for God so loved the world. It takes you in because here John Baptist is saying, all flesh shall see the salvation of God. The provision is made that you may be saved. And if you come as a true repentant sinner, there is absolutely no doubt but that you could be saved and saved eternally. There was a man in the wilderness. If you want to get salvation, then you must come to the provision that God has made in the person of his son. And I think that's illustrated now as we think of the manna in the wilderness. You will notice the manna, we've been told about it just as we've been told about the state of the people. The state of, what was the state of the people? It tells us something here about their walk. It tells us about the wilderness. It tells us about their want. What was their walk? Exodus 16 verse 1 says, they took their journey. They took their journey. And here's these, this multitude of people, all coming out of Egypt. You stop one of them. You say, uh, where are you going? Well, we're going to Canaan. We're going to the promised land. Have you ever been there before? No. Have you ever seen it? No. And you're leaving here to go to a place and you've never seen it and 
Now, well, what sort of a place is it? Well, I can only tell you what I'm told about it. So you've no physical connection with it? No. This is a very strange thing. They took their journey. They could have told you when it began. You say to them, how long is the journey going to take? Don't know. Are you sure you're going to get there? Well, I hope so. And you go down doors and talk to people. And you ask them, what are they depending on to take them to heaven? Well, I'm doing the best I can. And I, I'm diligent at going to church services, gospel hall services, whatever services. And I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of hoping that I'll be able to get, get into heaven on this basis. And my dear friend, as we preach it to you, I trust you can see the absolute folly of it. Salvation does not come through religion. Salvation does not come through good works. Salvation doesn't come on ifs and buts and maybes. Salvation is real. These other things that we're talking about, you're hoping and you're hoping and you're middying and with us. The person who's saved, they know they're saved. They know their sins are forgiven. And I know I'm saved. And I know I never perish. You say, well, that's kind of presumptuous. No. God has promised that the person who trusts his son, that person is going to heaven and will be there eternally. I go back to the 26th of November, 1967. I got saved that night. Absolutely sure of it. Because you preach, no. Because you pray, no. Because you belong to the gospel hall, no. A thousand times, no. I know I'm going to heaven. Why? Because I was a guilty sinner. And Jesus died for me. And all this work has been done. We've sung that. We sung that and the, the hymn all and give out before the meeting started. And the first time I gave out, it is finished. Yes, indeed. Finished every job. Sinner, this is all you need. Tell me, is it not? And we tell you tonight of a work that is finished. The walk. The wilderness. You know what it's called? It's very aptly named, doesn't it? The wilderness of sin. It's like this word all around us where we walk. And you walk through a wilderness of sin. And they're want. They're not exempt from the need. It says here, verse number 3. You have brought us forth into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. And of a great, great need. Moses. Moses, he was in touch with God. Could Moses not meet now? The need that they had was far too big for any human to meet the need. But my dear friend, there is a need. But there is a need that is met. For we move from the state of the people to the supply of the people. What was it? There was this thing called manna. Manna just means what is it? 
the whole of the place was surrounded, was covered in this thing. And they said, Mana, what is it? They didn't understand it. Never seen the like before. And yet we understand that the source, says verse 4, it was from heaven. And God rained bread from heaven. It was God who thought it. It was God who provided it. It's still the same. The message that's going to meet your need and land you in heaven is a message that comes from God. We've quoted it already. Let us quote it again. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It's a message that comes from God. The apostle says he separated unto the gospel of God. I don't ask you to believe what we believe. But I tell you, you're a right fool if you don't believe what the Bible says. The way to heaven has been marked out, planned by God, the source of it. It come down, just verse 14, come down via the Jew. It wasn't the rain. Come down via the Jew. And the Jew went down and come down. It comes silently. And I know we know about Jew points and that kind of, but it's almost kind of mysteriously. It come down, the Jew. This tells us of the operations of the Holy Spirit of God. Can't be seen, but come down and worked. And the word of the angel to Mary was this, the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee. The power of the highest shall overshadow thee. And therefore also that holy thing that shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. We sing down from the glory. The Savior came down to the cross and the death of shame. Gazing in wonder I there exclaim, Jesus died for me. And through the womb of the Virgin came the person of the Lord Jesus, the Son of God, the source, the sight. Verse 14 says, it was round, it was round. A ring is round. You ladies, look at your wedding ring. You can't see the beginning, you can't see the end. You can put it on your finger, you can twist it. You still can't pick up the beginning and the end. The roundness of it tells us of the eternality of the Lord Jesus. God's eternal Son. That's why that verse, John 3.16, why it's so precious. It tells us that God sent his only begotten Son, his unique, his only Son, Isaiah Nine says unto us, a child is born, but unto us a son is given. He never was a son given before. This uniqueness of the blessed Savior, it was round. It was small, humility, and it was white, his purity. And the Savior, absolutely sinless, came from the everlasting glory. To die upon the cross. None other could our place have taken. Highest of the high though he. 
It had got to be one of the Godhead three, the blessed Lord Jesus himself. What about the sample of it? It says, it tasted like honey. It tasted like honey. Mind you, those of us who are saved, we sit by times and read our Bible and ponder what it says and let God fill our minds with the person of the Lord Jesus. And as we do so, we can say it tastes like honey. He's altogether lovely, you know. Those of us who are saved have come to know the sweetest person that there's ever moved in this world, the blessed Son of God. And so there is a need. There's a state. And now there is a supply. But there's a search. How are the people going to get this? These people know they need it. They need something. They're going to starve in the wilderness. They need something. But how are they going to get it? Well, there's a responsibility. Verse 4 says, they'll go out and gather. They'll go out and gather. You would know, God could have sent manna down onto the face of the wilderness. And God could have made that manna to roll along the wilderness, in through the tent door, and it would just pop from there up onto their plate. He could have done that, sure. But he didn't. He provided it. Now, he didn't provide it on a mountaintop so that only the very fit people could get it. He didn't just put it there for a second or two so that only the swift could get it. It came all around about the host. It was all within arm's reach, but it was the responsibility of the people to get it to go and gather. My friend, there's provision for you at Calvary. The blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. And there it is, it's available. The work has been done. But you've got to take it. Supposing Supposing I was wealthy enough and I wrote every one of you a cheque for £100. The cheque was dated, it was signed, all was in order, there were sufficient funds in the bank to cover it and I gave it to you, your name on it, when you left the meeting this evening. When you got into the car park, how much richer would you be? You say it'd be a hundred pounds richer? No. You wouldn't be one penny piece richer. You wouldn't have one more penny until you cast a check. It's only then. Now you could carry that check about with you, you could frame it and hang it in the wall, do what you want with it. But it's never going to enrich you until you cash it. Can I say there's a workman done at Calvary that allows God to say to you people and to this whole wide world there's a workman done at the cross that says you can have salvation but you've got to take it. 
Could I say without being disrespectful or irreverent, you've got to cash the check. And I understand by faith that the Savior died for sinners, yes. And the Savior died for the whole wide world, yes. But the blessedness of it is that the Son of God loved me and gave himself for me. Because the sin of the Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the justice satisfied to look at him and to pardon me. My dear friend, if you want that, it's there, it's available. It's right there on the ground. But it says, the availability, verse 21, when the sun waxed hot, it melted. When the sun waxed hot, it melted. Somebody says, well, somebody in the camp, I, I feel like a wee bit of a lion this morning. I'll, I'll just, I'll leave the man, I'll get it later, have this extra rest. And they get up at noon, gone. The sun waxed hot, it melted. Can you get salvation tonight? No, almost five to eight. You can get it right now. Can you get it at midnight? I don't know. My dear friends, salvation is available. But behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Right now. If you can say to me, well, I'll get it tomorrow. Or I'll get it next week at the gospel meeting. I'll get it. Thought people who think like that, they're a million miles from salvation. The people who get saved are people who want salvation now. Just right now. Because... When the sun waxed hot, it melted. It wasn't available anymore. The sufficiency of it says here that there was no lack. No lack. The sufficiency of this great salvation. Our God is a giving God. And he gives and he gives and he gives again. He'll give to you, and there'll always be more over. He has saved the number in this room, but there's always sufficient more for you if you want it. And you could be saved this very night by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. My time's gone. We've only thought of the first two, the man in the wilderness, the manna in the wilderness. There was murmuring in the wilderness. And they were murmuring, they're saying, we remember down in Egypt. Oh, and they begin to talk about Egypt. But they had to talk to the prodigal son. The prodigal son would have been saying to them, don't go down to Egypt. Don't go down into the world. That's, that's, just a, that's just a fantasy, all that they tell you about there. It's hopeless. Leaves you like this. The murmuring in the wilderness. The miracle in the wilderness. What was the miracle? The miracle was to make a serpent, brass serpent, put it on a pole, put it in the midst of a camp where it can be easily seen. 
so that older people can see it and younger people can see it and there's no there's no energy expected from the people who want it. It's not a matter of what they do. It's not a matter of how deeply they desire. It's not that. But it's simply by believing on the Son of God. Everlasting life is free. And you come this evening and look by faith to the uplifted ser- serpent. You'll be saved. You see, that's a strange story. It was serpents that brought the difficulty. It's serpents who are taking away the difficulty. Well, by man came sin, and by man also by man came death, and by man also came the resurrection of the dead. But I think of these two. There's a serpent slithering through the camp, biting anybody that can. But the person who looks to this serpent. What's the difference between these two? One big difference is this, that the serpent on the pole has no venom. The serpent on the pole is not going to do anybody any harm. Can you tell me of anybody that was harmed by the Lord Jesus? Can you tell me of anybody that was harmed and that the Lord Jesus did wrong to? and Not wrong. He went about doing good, healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. And through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins, and all who believe are justified from all things from which they could not be justified by the law of Moses. My dear friend, going through this wilderness, heading for eternal burnings, Stop on your step. Doing about turn. Come to the Saviour. Make no delay. For he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his strife, we are healed. May the Lord bless his word. Shall we pray? Our blessed God, in the hallowed name of our Lord Jesus, we bow before thee on another occasion. We thank thee for the sweet strains of the gospel story. We pray thee that thou would bless thine own precious and holy word. And we desire of thee that as a result of this meeting, glory will redound to thy holy name, and the salvation of our God will be accepted by some soul in the meeting. Remember the gospel across our land, and be pleased to bless thy holy word. And as we commit ourselves to thee now as we part, and pray for thy protection on the road homeward, we just ask of thee that thoughts that are eternal, will fill them the hearts and minds of those who have listened to thy word. We commit ourselves to thee in the Lord Jesus Christ, most worthy and honoured name.